Welcome back to Bootability, a weekly interview series about the amazing ability we all have to change our lives and the world if we're brave enough to tap into it. I'm your host, Jihee Jolly. Today we're talking about identity and relationships. Brianna Boucher of Seattle shares her story of chanting Namyoho Rengekyo and how she developed confidence in the practice of human revolution. That is, the process of continually chanting to reveal our bootability, courage, wisdom, and compassion for ourselves and others. One aspect of Brianna's life that her Buddhist practice carried her through was the exploration of her own relationship with sexuality, and eventually the realization that she is ace, short for asexual. I'll let Brianna share the rest. My name is Brianna Boucher. Um, I am 27 years old. I am calling from the phone room with acoustic paneling at my office in Seattle, Washington. Um, and I currently work as an office coordinator for an architecture and interior design company. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. Um, so I know we're going to talk about, you know, different aspects of your life today, um, but I always like to start with the context. So can you just share a little bit of the story of um, kind of how, when, why did you start practicing SGI Nichiren Buddhism? Like, how did you encounter it and what was going on in your life at the time? Yes. Yeah. So I was 18. Uh, I was 18 years old and I was a sophomore in college. Um, and I had moved 5,000 miles away from home for a school, basically as far away as I could get within the United States. And I was really excited. I was pursuing a degree in theater. And I, yeah, I was actually pretty lost at the time. Um, looking back, I really, yeah, felt a bit unmoored. Um, I had chosen to be far away from like home and family. Um, and um, yeah, I had chosen this really difficult, weirdly competitive career path, you know, just because it was something that I had grown up loving doing um, just as an extracurricular. And yeah, I found myself um, very unprepared for the reality that that I was in, I think. And um, so, yeah, I was in an acting class. And um, yeah, one day at the end of class, our professor uh, stood up and said, hey, just so you all know, I practice this Buddhism. I chant this phrase, nam myoho renge kyo and I've been doing it for 35 years, and it's completely allowed me to transform my life and my career path, and it's a really amazing uh, practice for young people who are searching for meaning in life, basically. Huh. And um, yeah, and he basically said, yeah, I'm going to have a very informal introductory meeting at the Student Life Center if anyone's interested in coming. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was my that was my introduction to Nietzsche and Buddhism. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So okay, so so basically, you get introduced by this professor, and then did you jump in or like what was your kind of internal reaction? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I attended the intro meeting uh, that the professor hosted. And actually, 
I'd say four or five of my classmates from this acting class went um, with me. And we we chanted together, um, like there in this like little small room in the Student Life Center. And it was totally wild. Like I didn't grow up with any spiritual practices. I didn't have any like religious upbringing. I had no intention of joining any kind of religion or organization surrounding spirituality. Um, but yeah, we chanted for maybe five minutes. And I just remember the feeling of being like five or 10% lighter after chanting. I really don't remember if I chanted with anything in mind or not. Um, and I did not jump in right away. I did not jump in right away. Um, I, yeah, I dipped my toe in for quite a long time. Um, but it really, it definitely made a difference that I had several close friends from that class who also were trying it out for themselves alongside me. Mm. Yeah, that's like an early taste of why having a community to practice with is so crucial. Yeah. <laughs> it continues. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think like we all showed up to the intro meeting because we really respected the professor. Like he really, I think, demonstrated how to use this practice like in his day-to-day life as a teacher. And we all really respected him and that's why we showed up in the first place. But um, it's not why we all continued, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, because that part is personal. Um, Actually, yeah, so that is my next question. Like, did you, like, what what made you continue? Because it's been quite a while since then. And did you, like, start to see a difference when you started chanting or? Mm, Yeah. So I really didn't um, know what to chant about for myself when I started chanting. Um, I uh, actually, the way in which my friends from that class played a really crucial role was that they were all struggling with things that to me were greater than my struggles. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, two friends were struggling with eating disorders. One friend, you know, her family refused to support her financially and she was, you know, paying her own way through school. Um, And, um, yeah, they all had these really like serious challenges in their life. Um, and if you had like asked me at the time, like if I was struggling or what I was struggling with, I wouldn't really have been able to answer you. Um, it was just, you know, that sort of weird miasma of being lost without realizing I was lost. Um, and so I actually just started off by chanting for my friends um, to overcome their difficulties. And I wanted them to be able to be happier. And so they were the ones who showed actual proof of this practice before I experienced it really for myself. So one by one, they like overcame these big challenges that they were facing while we were in college together um, because they continued to practice as well. Um, And it was like, it was incredible. Yeah, it was incredible to see. What an interesting start to the practice. And it's also so real because I I think that... um... I've had that experience too, you know, like where, where you're sort you, you like hear people like, this is a challenge and yes, I'm going to chant to really overcome it. But like, maybe you, I I won't say don't have one. I feel like we're, like you said, not necessarily always aware of what's going on within us. Um, you know, not to say everyone's struggling all the time, but it's part of life and it's like, okay to be in touch with it, you know? Um, but, but then I remember when we spoke on the phone, so like you had this sort of experience and, um, started participating in the Buddhist community and you started chanting a little bit, but then you ended up making a really big shift in your life, right? And like moved 
to the West Coast and also changed careers, if I understood correctly. So Mm -hmm. maybe we can kind of jump to that because that's also when you like really started to dig into the practice, right? Yeah. The first like real big tangible benefit that I received from chanting like really diligently for something was the internship I got after I graduated from college. So I spent the second half of my senior year in college applying to like really competitive and prestigious uh, stage management internships at theaters um, across the East Coast. And I, yeah, and I applied to so many and I got rejected from so many or just didn't hear back from so many. Um, but I, it was the first thing that I, for myself, that I had really, that I really diligently chanted for, um, for a period of time. And I was accepted to, um, one of the internships that was just known for, for its internship program and also for the person who would be mentoring me. And it was definitely like, surprising to me. It was definitely surprising to me um, and really felt like actual proof of my practice. Like, um, yeah. And and so I uh, moved to New Jersey for this internship um, and I was miserable for 11 months. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was awful. I was so unhappy. <laughs> I was so miserable the whole time. And I, for the life of me, like, just, yeah, like so many factors in, in my environment, like were just constantly swaying me, like constantly, like I felt like I was just being like pushed around by my environment all the time. Um, and yeah, it was, it was such a challenging time. And it was, it was this thing that I chanted so hard for, right? And then it turned into this completely unexpected hardship. Um, And of course, in retrospect, it was exactly the thing I needed to go through. Um, And it was exactly the thing I needed to go through both for my professional life to really switch, to sort of have like that clarity of vision in terms of, oh, I shouldn't be doing this professionally. Like this isn't, you know, this isn't fulfilling for me professionally. Um, But also was the thing that I needed to really strengthen my own Buddhist practice, Um, because throughout those 11 months, I was I was not practicing consistently. Um, And um, yeah, yeah. And I I had a wonderful support um, community while I was there. But um, really what I needed was the like strength of my own practice. And I didn't have it at the time. Mm. Um, so yeah, so at the end of the 11 months, I was like, great, I'm done doing theatrical stage management. I'm done living on the East coast. (laughs) And so I'm going to move to Seattle, um, and crash on my mom's, um, couch basically and find a job and see what happens. So yeah, that's what brought me to Seattle. Wow. It's an, it's interesting to hear, um, you share kind of the, like, having the community but not necessarily the consistent practice of chanting because I feel like I've spoken with so many people who like build that practice of chanting and then like dip their toes into being engaged in the community Mm. but the other way around is also really interesting right because the core is like chanting is what's doing 
doing the yep. work, you know? Yep. Um, and it's hard, you know, I think for people who are new or, you know, to do anything consistently, but it's like so crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, so very interesting. So then you, when you went back to Seattle or when you moved to Seattle um, and kind of left the theater industry, what was your, yeah, what was going through your head and like what kind of prompted you to then really turn to Buddhism? Yeah, I mean, it's so it's so interesting looking back and and really like I just like I just decided I just yeah like one day I just decided and um I think it yeah it was somehow I I just didn't second guess myself at all along the way and I didn't regret leaving behind that part of my life mm-hmm. um I definitely carried a lot of shame with me in terms of um, yeah, in terms of feeling like I had failed in that particular job that I had worked in. Um, and that like, I, cause I knew that I hadn't given my best, but I didn't know why I couldn't bring myself to give my best or like, I couldn't figure out like why I couldn't find my best in me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, at, and yeah, that was kind of where I was at the time where I was like, I know this is the right decision for my life, but I also feel like incredible amounts of yeah, of shame around this, this, these, this, my, this, my past, basically. Yeah, that's what it was. Like, I felt incredible amounts of shame about, like, my past, but I also knew that I was making the right decision for my life moving forward. Mm. Yeah, that's really real, actually. I think a lot of people can relate to that precise feeling, you know, and, like, even that question of, like, why can't I pull my best out of me or mm-hmm. find my best in me is, I, you said it perfectly because it is you know I mean in an essence too right like you know we'll get into this but chanting nam myoho renge kyo is exactly that tool to access that best (laughs) in you but like it but it's such a real feeling of just like why can't I get myself to do this or why can't I figure this out or everything yeah so so before we kind of move on to the the topic that we're going to discuss today just one last kind of question for the context setting um so did you start like chanting more consistently then when you went to Seattle and um, did like w- sort of like how did your practice change and did it feel different or did you start to see a shift in terms of your your daily life or relationship with the practice or whatever, you know? Yeah. So I had incredible fortune right from the get go when I decided to move to Seattle. I I had kept in touch peripherally with my professor who had introduced me to this practice and I texted him letting him know that I decided to move to Seattle um, at the end of this internship and he said oh amazing I know someone who practices who lives in Seattle let me find her number and connect you I was like okay all right, here's a start. I know my mom and I know this stranger who also practices. Like those were the two people in Seattle who I knew going there. Um, And so, yeah, uh, he connected me with this woman and it turns out that she lived in the neighborhood that my mom lived in. And so we would actually be living in the same neighborhood and attending the same local meetings. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, And just very mystic and incredibly fortunate for me that I had this like immediate connection before I even got there. You know, they, they like made sure that I was on the email lists for the meetings. And I, and I, I remember, um, 
I told my mom at some point in college that I had started practicing Buddhism and she was totally fine with it. And so I remember like asking my mom if it was okay if I had an altar like set up in her apartment, you know, because I would be living with her for an unknown amount of time. Um, And she was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll clear off the top shelf of my bookshelf, you know, and you can set up whatever you need there. Um, And so I was also very fortunate in that regard that I, you know, had this dedicated space where I could chant. Um, And yeah, and I, I remember in alongside having this connection to my local area, I remember being visited by two like young women um, who were like supporting the larger Seattle area at the time. Um, and they they came over to my mom's apartment to like visit with me. And um, and my mom had like made cookies. And so she was like, Brianna, like, I'm going to step out while they visit with you. But like, make sure you offer them these cookies that I made. Um, and then the, the two young women had actually brought cookies for us to eat. <laughs> and so we just had like an abundance of sweets that we that we really didn't eat while we were talking. Um oh. And just getting to know one another. And actually, I was just texting one of those two women the other day. Um, And yeah, it's just like for both of us, like we both acknowledged just the other day, like what a cherished memory that was for both of us. Um, And so, yeah, so it was really and it was really that visit with them where, you know, they very gently like asked, like, how is your practice? You know, like, do you chant every day? Like, do you, you know, do you study like Buddhist you know, study material. Um, you know, and my answer was like, no, I don't chant every day. Like, no, I don't study. Like, no, I don't, you know, um, do any of that consistently. And so, yeah, it was really just like their, their like very kind encouragement, you know, to just really try chanting for like 10 minutes every day to, and see what it feels like, right. See what it does for your life. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, yeah, there was so there was so many areas in my life, right, that were like open and had big question marks hanging over them because I just made this big decision. And so so, you know, they yeah, they really were like, well, like you want friends like you can chant for friends like you want, you know, a job like you can chant for a job, you you know, all that. And then, yeah. And then really just being able to have a consistent place to go and um, meet with other members in my local area and study with them just like really like those two things together just really helped me to solidify my personal practice. Yeah, I love that. And that just the like I can see the that visit with all the cookies. Like it's I can feel what you're what you're describing. Um yeah. you know, and it's also so like I so appreciate first like you honestly sharing all of this and also just the realness of like um yeah, like maybe you had started your practice sometime earlier, but then like it took a few years and a move and a different life circumstance to decide, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start again, you know, which makes me think that, um, like one can build a foundation in their life at any time, you know, like, you know how sometimes people feel like, oh, it's too late for this. It's too late for that. Like as you start getting older, you start thinking I've missed the boat on so many things, but it's just interesting, right? Like with Buddhism, you can the day you decide to start chanting consistently, you're starting a new foundation, like doesn't matter where you are in life. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, you know, like I kept in touch with two of my 
friends from college throughout all of that um, who had started chanting when I started chanting. And yeah, it's, and I'm still friends with them. I'm still very good friends with them to this day. And it's just so, yeah, it's really interesting just to see and experience and share together, like how our practices have developed individually over the years, um, you know, almost 10 years now. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's so true because yeah, and there, there's no like linear there's no linear direction, you know, for this practice, you know, it's not linear at all. And um, yeah, it's really, it's just, yeah, it's just very dynamic. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Um, So uh, I'm curious about a few things. So you just mentioned that, like, you know, I guess at this time, there were question marks hanging over various aspects of your life. Um, And I know one of them that we kind of briefly discussed were questions around identity and sexuality and relationships, um, which so many people, I think, also have question marks in their lives about. So um, as much as you're comfortable sharing, um, you know, maybe we can talk about that aspect a little bit. And because I know you had a pretty profound experience (laughs) in that area. So what was sort of going on? And then how did you, yeah, start tackling it using Buddhism? Yeah, so, you know, my... um... My, yeah, my sexuality and my identity weren't something that I really thought about at all when I was growing up. Um, And I was very, like, very independent as a very young person. And, you know, circumstances early on in my childhood kind of dictated that. But yeah, I just, you know, it was, I was used to being by myself. I enjoyed my own company. I'm an introverted only child. So if you know, you know. (laughs) Um, And um, yeah, I, you know, I really, I had really solid friendships when I was young, like through high school. Um, And yeah, like I saw, you know, people like as early as sixth grade, like, quote unquote dating, right? You know, like in a relationship (laughs) (laughs) for two weeks, you know, giving each other like Valentine's Day chocolates and everything like that. Um, And yeah, it just really wasn't interesting to me. Um, I never met anyone that interested me in a particular way. Um, And then I got to college and (laughs) I really couldn't understand like what the what the fuss was about with like other people being into other people, you know, like I, (laughs) I was like watching, you know, I like my freshman year, I remember, um, like my roommate going through just like the slings and arrows, right. Of like young life and romantic experiences and, um, you know, having the freedom that you have once you stop living with your parents and, yeah, it was a lot of drama that I did, that I didn't really understand, um, and really like didn't still didn't have any particular desire for, you know. Like I I grew up reading a lot of fantasy and romance and contemporary and like young adult novels, right? So the the ideal of having this like romantic relationship or partner or experience, right, was very was very real like and it was definitely something that like in my mind I wanted for myself um but there was like no like desire in me to like pursue that in any real way um and so yeah so it was 
I, I, yeah, I was like very on the outskirts at times. And then like, I think it was my, my sophomore or junior year in college, I think there was a panel on sexuality that was hosted by like our student culture department or something like that, our student life department. And they brought in students and they brought in um, like public figures and a couple of professors um, to do this panel on sexuality. Um, And we were like a very like liberal arts oriented school. So like lots of people of lots of different identities were going to this school. Um, And I remember one student uh, describing himself as demisexual, which is not feeling any physical or sexual attraction to another person until you have this really deep emotional intimacy with them. Um, And I remember hearing that and I was like, oh, I've never heard that term before. Like that, that's, that's pretty cool. Like that would make a lot of sense for why I haven't, you know, found anyone that I've wanted to be in a relationship with. Um, And then the, like the year, two years, I would say after college, both living in New Jersey and living here in Seattle, um, you know, I signed up for online dating apps and that was the thing to do. And like, that was the easy way to meet people, especially when you're new to a, new to a place. Um, And, you know, I met, really nice people. I had no bad dates. I had wonderful experiences um, in terms of just like basic social interaction with strangers. Um, But I was really bored. (laughs) You know, it was a very boring experience for me Um, and really had no, yeah, really held no like interest for me. Um, And I never made it past like two or three dates with a person. Yeah. And at that point, I had made a couple of friends here in Seattle and like, again, like just observing the intensity with which they pursued these relationships or the space, the amount of space it took up in their life was just very unfamiliar to me. Um, And I still didn't really understand what that was about. Mm. Um, So I like was observing these, you know, adult, right? Young adult, but still like adult friends of mine, right? Who had been in relationships before they held down jobs, they owned a car, they had pets, they rented an apartment, right? Like all these, all these benchmarks, right? That, that you sort of um, judge your life by when you're, when you're a young adult. Um, Yeah, I just watched, I just watched them, right? Like engage with, engage with what was sometimes this intense struggle, right? With these romantic relationships, right? Or this in attempt to have romantic relationships. Um, and that the sort of ideal of having that person or having that experience and having that emotional connection with a person, like was definitely something that like in my mind, I was like, yeah, like I want that experience, you know, like it's, 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 so normalized, right, that we don't even question it most of the time. Um, And so, yeah, so Buddhism entered the picture when I heard uh, another person who practices Buddhism tell me that um, you could chant to find a partner. (laughs) And you hadn't chanted about finding a partner until this point. Yeah, until this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so, yeah, so it just, I started, I started chanting that I said that I added it to my list of prayers and I started chanting that way. And within a few months, um, like this person like walked into my life 
just like out of the blue and like not even like directly into my life, just sort of into my environment. This person like walked into my environment and I like I had no idea what was going on like with me, like with myself. Like I was like I noticed this person and then suddenly I was intensely curious about this person and then I was afraid to like interact with this person and then I was like this person doesn't know who I am still like why am I like even thinking about this person um and it was such a bizarre experience to experience and I was like I think at this point I was like 23 and I didn't really know how to navigate it beyond like freaking out to my friends and then also chanting about it (laughs) (laughs) like that, you know, like those were the only two things I could think to do. Um, And yeah, it was really confusing and it was honestly at times really anxiety inducing um, because what happened was like this person like ended up being this like function in my environment that allowed me to see all of the incredible like insecurities that I had about myself. Mm. And yeah, and I just ended up confronting like wave after wave of all of these self-doubts and insecurities and like lack of belief in my life, Um, you know, that had nothing to do with the other person whatsoever. So then like it was several years of me constantly trying to overcome all of this negativity about myself. Um, And it wasn't fun. (laughs) You know, it wasn't fun at first. Um, But the, the, the piece that I never forgot that kept, you know, coming back to me was this idea that we go through these hardships to transform our lives and ultimately help other people become happy and achieve world peace, right? So that's like why I needed, you know, that's why I was told to chant for this person to, you know, help me fulfill this mission for world peace, because ultimately, like, you know, whoever showed up in my environment, like, was going to be the person to help me do what we call human revolution um, and like undergo that inner transformation. That is the crucial piece, the crucial part of us working towards this larger idea of world peace. Um, So yeah, like over those years, you know, like just the, those things that I had observed about myself and about other people just sort of kept coming up more and more frequently. And um Yeah. And I finally, I finally came to the realization um, back in 2020 that I'm um, like, I'm ace, like I, or asexual, like ace for short, um, because like, it didn't matter like how much time I spent around this person, how well I knew this person, um, you know, because we ended up being in each other's environment for quite a long time. Um, I still had, like, no, like, physical attraction to anyone. And, like, it was just this piece that wasn't present for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And, like, that, you know, to go back to sort of that first resonance with demisexuality um, that I had forgotten about, you know, there, there, there was all the prerequisites sort of in place, like, for me at least, 
to, you know, maybe have this experience that everyone else that I knew experienced. Um, but that never manifested, um, if that makes sense. So I then like had to come to terms with this, this, yeah, this experience that I realized I had been experiencing my entire life without knowing it. Um, or really, you know, if I somehow knew it right without being able to identify it or talk about it or have any language for it. Um, yeah. And so then like, since then, like that was a really, that was a really, yeah, crucial and amazing realization, um, for me. And since then it's just been, yeah, it's just been a really interesting journey to try to figure out, yeah, how to move forward in my life and how to lead a fulfilling life and how to go about having connections to people, um, like with this new piece of information. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I do have some follow-up questions. Um, so, one question is just the, you know, I'm just thinking from the perspective of someone who's listening who might um, kind of be on a similar journey of just trying to, like, understand how they relate to other people, understand how they identify, whatever it might be, whether it's directly about their sexuality or another component of their identity. Um, like, what what allowed you to have that realization like was it something that you were actively chanting about or did you have to you know what I mean like was it just like a one one day you realized and it was really simple or um was your practice sort of involved in in arriving at that and grappling with that Mm. I mean my practice was definitely integral um definitely all of the times that I was grappling with my own experience of things. Like I would always use my chanting, my daimoku to ultimately to just remind myself that I have bootability, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it was ultimately like every time I had this like wave of anxiety come up in my life or this, you know, this, yeah, just like feeling anxiety or self-doubt at any point, you know, while I was just experiencing these things like I just you know really chanted to chanted to believe that what I was experiencing like was ultimately my benefit and like was ultimately going to be the thing that helped me reveal my Buddha nature Mm. um and the actual like circumstances of like the sort of light bulb moment was really funny actually I um I have one of my friends here works for a local publishing house and she gets 60 percent off books and so I remember like searching their website like the company website just for books I wanted to buy and I remember um yeah on the website was this book Ace by this author named Angela Chen um and I you know, the synopsis was like right there on the page. And it was, um, uh, I'm not going to remember the subtitle off the top of my head. But basically, it was um, uh, something along the lines of how asexuality can help society understand like, the meaning of like, sex and life and, you know, something like that. It was like, it was a very, you know, um, meaty subtitle for a very simple word. Um, and I just, I was like, 
I think I need to read this. Um, and so I, yeah, so I asked my friend to order it for me. Um, and reading, yeah, reading that book was, was so amazing because like everything contained in that book was like, oh, I have experienced this or like, oh, like this isn't my experience, but like this makes a lot of sense, you know, or um, yeah, it was like lots of different people's personal anecdotes about like coming to terms with their asexuality. Um, and yeah, and it was exactly the thing that I needed to read at that time. Um, and it was like at that point, because I think there had been probably lots of hints sort of throughout my life about this, this piece of myself that I just kind of wasn't ready to come to terms with, you know, in my heart. And so I think like the thing, the, really the most profound part of having this practice carry me through this journey was that like the the moment at which I ordered and read this book was the moment that my life was ready to accept this reality, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, it completely makes sense. Yeah. What I love about everything that you're sharing is like, um, you know, people often ask like, how does chanting work? Or, you know, like often we'll, for instance, set goals or have intentions about what it is we want to change or achieve or do or whatever, right, when we're practicing Buddhism. But like, those things are almost like catalysts for a much deeper process and not like, I, I don't remember the quote, I know you'll know what I'm talking about. But there's this quote from Daisaku Keita, just basically, like, there's no such thing as like a prayer or something that you're chanting about that goes unanswered. And you can trust that your life is going to end up on the right path, no matter what, when you're mm -hmm. chanting. Mm -hmm. But like what that looks like, maybe we can't even conceive. And it feels like that's exactly what you're describing. Like you start chanting to find this like life partner based on hearing that you can do that <laughs> Buddhist <laughs> meaning. Yeah. And then end up, you know, somewhere else. But like, it just, it seems like you're so also happy about it. And it was the right timing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting, just to just to hear that come together. Um, but if, if you don't mind my asking just one more follow up on this, um, you know, earlier, you said, like, when you sort of encountered this person, and if I'm understanding correctly, sort of, it sounds like you were considering, like, maybe this is the person and maybe I'm feeling differently than I have around other people but ultimately it didn't turn into that kind of a relationship right but it did somehow catalyze a lot of your insecurity and as much as you're comfortable sharing like what do you what do you mean by that or what was what was like that piece like and why was it so important in terms of you know continuing your practice if that makes sense yeah so I mean the I, I mean, I definitely, I definitely had to confront the, like, I'm not good enough, you know, the I'm not good enough belief um, that I think a lot of us encounter around not just like people as potential romantic partners, right, but in like so many different settings. Um, so yeah, you're right. I had never had this experience around another person before. Um, so I was very, I was used to being very confident in myself. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. I was used to being very solid in my sense of self and like my, my like larger identity, like out, you know, beyond my, just my sexuality. Like I was very okay with who I was. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, this was the first time I'd really had to, yeah, had to confront like the 
the intensity of like self slander that we can experience, um, especially like around or, you know, triggered by, yeah, another person. Yeah. Mm, I see. I see. So that, yeah. Okay. That's making sense. So like the insecurity that I brought out of your life of like, I'm not good enough or, you know, all the questions that come (laughs) from, (laughs) from relationships, um, came out and mm-hmm. was there a sort of like um you know in terms of your your practice because it seems like you're in a completely different place now you know and I do remember us talking on the phone um and you share just how much you really love human revolution or this inner transformation so was there a like is this the time period in which you really started to understand it and was there some sort of like turning point in terms of like you know how you were chanting or how you were trying to apply what you were learning from from Buddhism? Yeah, at this point in my practice, like, you know, the last few years of my practice, like I, I had really, like, I really had gotten to a place where I knew that just being willing to do my human revolution and actively chanting to do my human revolution was the key to transforming my suffering, like whatever that suffering was. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the one of the very basic yeah buddhist concepts right is like once we change our environment changes and at this point in my life i had just accepted that as like cold reality you know like that 100% accurate like this is facts um and so that was really the standpoint that i approached this experience with in terms of my sexuality was like and you know having this person show up in my life like was I know that this is happening so that I can do my human revolution and, and really like ultimately like what I needed to do was just chant with the desire to do my human revolution in whatever that looked like. And like, that's, that's actually one of the amazing things that I love about this practice is like, we can chant to do our human revolution and like chant with the intention to do our human revolution without knowing what that human revolution looks like before it happens. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think the turning point honestly was finding, um, finding a way to just simply be grateful for this person and the role they played in my life. And then grateful for the hardship that I had gone through mm. that, you know, had been brought out in my life. And I think like Getting to that place of gratitude was was really the turning point for then like moving into this new space of exploring other aspects of my life, especially in regards to my sexuality. Is like as long as I'm willing to do my human revolution and I'm using Nam Myoho Renge Kyo to like be my foundation for that, like I know that I can transform whatever comes next, you know? Mm. It's yeah, it's so hard to like actually decide to have that be your posture in life, you know, like I'm always willing to do whatever I need to do. And also like, it sounds like you really based it on chanting above like intellectualizing this is what I need to do in order to do this because that's like not not always like that doesn't always lead us in the best direction you know when we strategize (laughs) about especially in like relationships of any kind um so yeah it seems so like such a light and yet profound way to approach relationships um 
So so just to sort of now move into the present, you know, you share like it, it, if just to recap again, you know, you develop sort of this trust in the process of human revolution or inner transformation, it sounds like. And then we're able to apply it to this kind of confusing first time could be love type of thing that eventually helps you realize, you know, your sexuality. Um, so like now, I mean, you did briefly mention like from 2020 onwards, it's like a new set of questions, you know, about life and um, and what that means for you and what kind of relationships you want to have with people. So I'm, I'm curious, again, as much as you're comfortable sharing, like what are you chanting about now or sort of what is the present or future look like in this way? And yeah. Yeah. I'm chanting about so many things. <laughs> I'm chanting about all the things. Um, yeah. I'm chanting about still finding like this new career for myself that's really fulfilling. Um, I'm still very much in the beginning stages of that journey, I would say. Um, I'm still definitely coming to terms with my own identity and like how to go about taking action so that I can have these relationships that I might want in the future. Um, I'm chatting about my health. Um, I, yeah, like the last two years has been really challenging for me in lots of different ways in terms of my health. So I'm really, really trying to transform that. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, so many things. And I think that's one of the really big benefits that all of these experiences have given me is that um, I, I'm confident enough in my capabilities and myself. And I'm also confident in my own, like in my faith in this practice and this process where I, I, I'm willing to take all of this on. You know, like I'm, I'm okay, like not having the best job. Like right now I'm okay not making the amount of money I want to make. Like I'm okay that I'm not in a romantic relationship. I'm okay that I'm struggling with my friendships, like, you know, and not in the sense of like, I'm settling, but in the sense of like, here's where I am in the process. It's a crucial piece of the process. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I'm, I know that like this practice is going to be the thing that helps me transform all of it. So I'm really just trying to like engage with all of it, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it, it definitely makes sense. And I love the way that you put it again, because, you know, earlier you mentioned like, um, there's like this list of things or milestones or whatever that like we feel like, oh, we have to hit, you know, in relationships and living and work and whatever, you know, and to not feel like you're on that path in the way that everybody else is, is such a source of suffering, I think, for so many people, whichever piece of it is your unique journey, you know. So, yeah, I love the way that you put it, like just to really trust that this is the crucial part of the process because you yourself are going through this transformation of becoming like a happier, more confident, more capable person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. And that's like you, you called something, yeah, you just called something out that has, has definitely, um, yeah, has definitely taken a while to come to terms with is, is all of that external pressure that we can experience in hitting those milestones, right. That like society can dictate for us. Um, and 
to really like, and I'm still, you know, I'm still definitely working on this, but to really be able to like look at it all, right, and see it for what it is and and still be able to say like, not for me, you know, or, you know, right, and really just be able to ignore all of those, all of those external subliminal messaging <laughs> that we get, <laughs> messages, yeah. I should say, that we get. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, accurate. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And just take so much pressure off, I hope. But I, I anyway, I'm rambling. Uh, let me move to uh, <laughs> you did already kind of share this. But um, just in case I wanted to ask, like, do you have a favorite um, Buddhist quote or concept that you wanted to share? Sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, human revolution, definitely my favorite concept. Um it's amazing. Um, but to go, yeah, to go alongside that, this is actually related somewhat. This, um, this quote was, uh, one of the first quotes that I read, um, in the letters that Nietzsche and Daishonin wrote to his followers. Um, and it appears multiple times throughout different letters. Um, and it's one sentence, it's to discard the shallow and seek the profound is the way of a person of courage. Huh. And it's actually, it's actually that line Nietzsche and himself attributes to a predecessor named Dengyo, who is a philosopher um, who never really established a practice the way Nietzsche did, but Nietzsche references him a bunch of times in his letters. Um, and so he actually, he quotes, that's a quote from Dengyo. Um, but yeah, it was one of the first passages or lines from Nietzsche's letters that really struck me. And this was when I first moved to Seattle and I first started reading Nietzsche's letters. Um, and I wrote it down on like a three by five note card and I stuck it in the little pouch where I keep, you know, like some of my like Buddha stuff. And it just like stuck with me through the years and it more and more, it became like my go-to passage to, um, to chant about to live my life by. So it became like, it's become kind of a refrain, like my go-to refrain, especially when it comes to doing human revolution, um, that I, I intentionally like keep in my mind while I'm chanting. So if there is like a situation where I like, I really don't know how to proceed or I'm really struggling with something or I'm really feeling that fear, mm -hmm. you know, that comes up whenever, like, you know, whatever it is that I'm going through, like that's become one of those things that I recall to just really, yeah, to really just chant about, to be able to like experience that, to like be this person of courage, right? Who like goes beyond that superficial of like how things might look with our intellectual mind and be able to like see them more with our Buddha wisdom. Um, yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's a really powerful quote. Um, wow. Yeah, I'm going to think about it. I think I needed to hear that. So. Um, so, so I will move to my closing question, um, which is how I always end the show which is if you could give one piece of advice to anyone who is listening, who's new to Buddhism and maybe has a similar life journey to yours, what would you say? Well, I think, I think we kind of both have already said it, um, which is to really just trust where you are in your life because you've, you've found Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, which is amazing. 
And so because you've encountered Nam Myoho Renge Kyo at this point in your life, like this is exactly the moment where you need to really like be present and like dig into, you know? Mm-hmm. So like really trust that like, even if you're experiencing incredible amounts of suffering, like this is the thing and like, this is the experience and like Nam Myoho Renge Kyo is the thing like that together will be the catalyst for transforming your life. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, really to practice telling those standards that society sets for us, like, I don't have to live my life by you, you know? Um, yeah, practice like consciously, consciously seeing those standards and saying no to them when you feel like you want to. I want to leave you today with these words from Daisaku Ikeda that speak directly to the courageous process Brianna had to undergo to live true to herself, which I think can apply to all of us, no matter what situation or questions we might currently be facing about our lives. He writes, You must respect your life. You will be unhappy if you allow yourselves to be swayed by society's prejudices, passing trends, and contradictions. Never forget to live true to your convictions. To do this, he explains in another chapter that we cannot compare ourselves to others. And as Brianna shared in the passage about discarding the shallow and seeking the profound, based on chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, we can reveal our truest self, which resides in our Buddha ability or Buddha nature over anything else. Ikeda writes, When you hold fast to your beliefs and live true to yourself, your true value as a human being shines through. Buddhism teaches the concept of manifesting one's true nature. This means to reveal your genuine innate self, your true inherent potential, and bring it to shine, illuminating all around you. It refers to your most refined individuality and uniqueness. On that note, as always, if you have questions or you'd like to get connected to your local Buddhist community, you can email us at connect at sgi-usa.org. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.